Welcome to For the Long Run, the podcast exploring the why behind what keeps runners running long, strong, and motivated. I'm your host, Jonathan Levitt. Through personal and professional connections in the running world, I have the privilege of getting to know some amazing athletes. I've always been fascinated by the psychological aspect of running, and this podcast is aimed at exploring this and much more. I hope you enjoy. Have you guys heard of Beam? I have been absolutely loving their products lately. Beam is a CBD company that's making waves in the running world by offering products that combine THC-free CBD with other high-quality ingredients. It was founded by two ex-professional athletes with the idea that everyone should have the chance to experience what better feels like. Whether you're sore or stressed, Beam is key for recovery and self-care. Try it for yourself with 15% off using the code FTLR from beamtlc.com. I recommend Beam Dream Powder or the Focus Capsules. Welcome back. I have Chris Chavez joining me on the podcast today. Chris, thanks so much for uh, for taking some time to chat. Jonathan, thanks so much for having me. I've you know you, I've seen your podcast grow over time, and just the list of guests is is awesome. So I'm I'm happy to be part of this. Of course, and appreciate that. Um, as a fellow podcaster, it's always fun to uh, to to chat. And as we were talking about beforehand, um, the audio quality is always uh, a nice perk of of chatting with another podcaster. Yeah, I was kind of like you're always on your on your toes, just thinking. It's like I wonder if the other person has headphones on. Do they have like a microphone? And like I'm glad maybe I make it. They make things a little bit easier for you, just in in general. Just a little easier. Yeah, it's funny. I've had people, you know, have uh, a cat meowing in the background, or a lawnmower in the background, or uh, taking it from their their phone in a car. It's like let's uh, let's get back to those in person interviews. I, I miss those. Oh, I definitely miss those too. And kind of, it's funny to see photos from like live shows that I've done and that kind of stuff. I'm like, <laughs> I, I just, I can't wait to get back to doing that. Yeah. Um, well, before we go too far, uh, who is, uh, who is Chris? Oh man, this is like, it's, it, I feel like I'm filling out uh, a dating <laughs> app bio, which, which is so funny to me, but um, yeah. So my name is Chris Chavez. I am a writer at Sports Illustrated. I'm also the founder of Sidious Mag. Um, started that about three years ago. And on there, you know, I kind of take a little bit more creative liberty with sort of like sharing my personality a little bit more. And so I host the Sidious Mag podcast there weekly uh, with athletes, coaches, and and whoever. Um, I also host the Runners of New York City podcast on uh, that. And so kind of over time, really leaned into the podcast game. I think we've got about like seven or eight shows now. Um, I produce a bunch of them. So my day-to-day job is I write and edit for Sports Illustrated, kind of my nine to five. And then from there, Outside of that, I'm editing and producing podcasts and getting very little sleep. But when I'm not writing or talking about running, I'm probably doing a little bit of running of my own. Um, And so I run for the Brooklyn Track Club here in New York City um, and kind of have really fall in love with sort of just, you know, the, the longer grinds where it comes to, you know, running half marathons and marathons. I've done all six marathon majors at this point. So, um, yeah, I, I feel like my best days are ahead of me when it comes to, to running. Um, but in general, I think that kind of covers things, uh, in a nutshell. Very cool. Yeah. It's the, the, um, another fellow, uh, you know, eat, sleep, breathe, running. And, uh, it's, it's fun, fun to see. Um, 
so has has running always been a part of your life or is it something that um has has grown as the years have gone on it's definitely changed over time the first instance of running for me was in high school i joined the track team as a sophomore during the indoor track season and mainly it was because all the guys around me had were on the team like when it came to our locker room and they'd hang out after school and they'd crack jokes and all that kind of stuff about their you know what happened in practice the previous day and although they were my friends like i wanted i wanted in on this too and so like i decided to join the track team i was a sprinter very very mediocre like i remember how hard it was for me to try and break 30 seconds for the 200 in that first season and like the the 400 felt like a marathon to me uh and i was no not good at all like i have very little endurance at that point and so uh yeah I, i kind of went through the high school years just running for fun at the same time balancing working for the school newspaper sometimes i'd skip practice to go work on the newspaper and my coach didn't always love that but you know i kind of had to double dip a bit and so i never really thought i would continue running after high school like my last race in high school was my 200 meter pr and it was 25 one and so i was only going up and getting better but kind of as the season ended i was like okay that's it got to college and then we kind of all sort of can see the freshman 15 happening over time. At least like I saw it happen with a friend of mine and I was like, I don't want any part of that. So I was just like, I'm going to start running. I'm going to run like, you know, two miles a day or something like that, three miles a day. People do five Ks all the time. I could do one of these for charity. And so started off doing that. Then I watched the New York City Marathon on TV. And because that's home for me, I was like, I want to do that someday. So didn't exactly make the jump from 200 meters to 26.2 right away. that would be really tough. I ran a bunch of half marathons um, in the year that followed and then ultimately gave the marathon a shot when I was 19 years old at the Chicago Marathon in 2013. And so, you know, it was kind of, I started off where a lot of people do, you know, first it was breaking two hours in the half marathon and I was fortunate enough to do that in my very first half. And then from there, when you think of the marathon distance, you kind of just double it up and be like, all right, now I want to break four hours in the marathon. And I actually didn't get to do that like right away. It took me a couple cracks. Um, and I didn't do it until I think of my third marathon. And at that point I had done Chicago and New York and then did it in Boston when I got in, uh, through a friend of mine. And so, uh, that, and then from there, sort of, you realize you're halfway through the majors. Why not try and sign up for the rest of them? And, the marathon bug kind of caught me. And, and so I've done, I've done the the six majors, but really, I guess like for me, it was in 2017, sort of moving back to New York city and getting to know a couple of people within the New York city running community and joining a team that I finally got back to sort of that, that practice mode where I was with other people once, once or twice a week doing workouts and stuff. And Ever since then, the last three years, I've definitely seen big, big improvement sort of in my performance. And, you know, when I once thought of trying to break four hours in a marathon, like this past year in 2020, my goal was to go back and run Chicago and get under three hours. So uh, it would have been really cool to go back, run my 10th marathon where I did my first and then just, 
you know, that first goal was four. The next one is, is, is breaking three and kind of just skipping over all the, you know, the three hour marks, uh, and getting under a 259 something would have been a really cool thing. But I, yeah, at this point, sort of, I'm still chasing my, my best times. I, I still want to break three hours in the marathon, want to break five minutes for the mile, haven't done either one of those two things. And so that's what kind of motivates me and pushes me. So, um, I'm de- I definitely enjoy the performance side of things, but then at the same time, the social aspect of it too, I, I credit running for introducing me to, uh, some of my best friends in New York city. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's a beautiful thing. Very cool. Um, what was it about seeing the New York city marathon that, um, motivated you to want to do it yourself. I had a similar experience with watching Boston in 2013. I said, wow, that's cool. These people are running a marathon. I, I'd like to do that. Um, I'm curious, what what was the perspective you had uh, with New York? It's funny because I, for me, it wasn't even in person. It was on TV. And I remember watching it on my TV in my freshman year dorm room uh, at Marquette. And I was just like, maybe it was the fact that I was maybe a little bit homesick. This is the first time I'd been living out in the Midwest and trying something totally new. And then again, it was also seeing the number of people getting out there, cheering people on. Like, I don't recall spectating a New York City marathon before 2013. Um, in 2012, I would have, but it was the the year of Hurricane Sandy. So, um, yeah, I think that might have it might have just been just sort of seeing the whole city come alive to cheer on people and and it's arguably I think my favorite day here in New York. Yeah, I think the um the hometown pride aspect is super cool and to see, you know, see your city in a in a in such a positive light and such a an energizing light is is super cool. Um the the Boston Marathon weekend is my favorite weekend of the year. I'm obviously biased being from Boston, but um, I think that one's the best. Um, so jokes aside, what what is back to what you were saying before on the breaking three and breaking five? What is it about that pursuit that keeps you going? Well, for the sub five, it was just the fact that in high school, my coach used to. Uh, give out t-shirts to anyone who broke five minutes for the mile <laughs> and a bunch of my friends got it. I wasn't even a distance runner, but I've, you know, kept that connection with that coach. He's still at my high school and I've told him, I was like, when I do it, like I better get a t-shirt, even though like I'm, you know, 10 plus years removed from, from being in high school. So that's kind of what drives me. And it's sort of also funny to realize, take a step back and, and know that like, the guys I used to run with in high school, like I don't think too many of them are even still running. So in a way I've become somewhat the fastest guy in my class. Um, that's still giving it a shot. And then for sub three, it's I, a kind of like a, a group of my friends, I think here in New York all want to go after it. And so the fact that we can keep each other accountable, you know, for 16 weeks or whatever it is over the summer, waking up on Saturday mornings, do a long run. And then afterwards, you know, grab some brunch and just, you know, put in the work collectively. And, uh, I think that's just one of my favorite things when it comes to, to marathon training. Yes. You know, you're super tired and there's going to be days that you don't want to get out there. You, you feel like, Oh, you see a workout on paper and it's so tough. But for me, 
I think it's having the group of friends uh, to really get you through those tough moments is what what makes the process enjoyable. Yeah, I think I think it's the ups and downs that um, make it particularly interesting. And like if you, I tried to break three for, and it took me four years and I think four attempts. And I think if I, and I ran a 401 in that process. <laughs> and I think that, you know, had I done it on the first try, it, it wouldn't have been as meaningful when it actually happened because of the process, because of um, the work that it took and the really the like the mindset shift that it required to, to actually get there. Um, and then the sub five piece, that's a goal I have as well. And I've run 506 and that was remarkably painful. Um, and it's just such a such a fun um, hurt that only lasts for a couple minutes. Yeah, I, 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 every single time I'm chipping away and getting closer, like I realize, oh man, like it's only, you know, eight or nine seconds that I'm off now, but over time you kind of really have to break it. You really break it down and it doesn't seem like that much easier. And that's kind of, I think what also helps me when it comes to relating to professional athletes, um, and that pursuit that they have. And, you know, especially when it comes to seeing athletes try and break four minutes for the mile, like that is something that, uh, you kind of understand what that, what that grind is like. And so when, and I'm sure it's very similar to you when you have these sort of conversations with people, um, you are also part of like your own pursuits. And so there's that relatability that we sort of bring to that conversation. Totally. Uh, One of my, one of the questions that I like to ask uh, professional athletes is fast forward five or 10 years, what are you really proud of? And very often, I'd say 90% of the time, their answers are intangibles. It's not breaking X. It's not um, winning gold at the Olympics. It's not something um, numerical. It's I'm, I, I got better and I am my, you know, I, I didn't leave anything on the table or I helped foster, a, um, you know, a strong team culture and, and set up the next generation. And I think it's really cool because that allows that athlete to be relatable and, and it allows people like us who, you know, don't run professionally and don't run that fast to understand the athlete and to understand what makes them tick, right? It's not, you know, how, how did I perform at my 20 by 400 workout and what are the splits and, you know, what was the delta of, of, you know, the goal, but it was, did you wake up and, and work on getting better today? Yes. Great. We, we can relate to each other. And I think that that's what makes athletes so relatable. And it's what I love. I love sharing those stories on, on this podcast because it, you know, everybody's human. Some people just run faster than others. It doesn't make them, you know, uh, you know, a unicorn. Uh, it just makes them, you know, it, it changes what they can do with their career. Um, but it's that relatability of the the process of getting better and and trying to do more every day um, that I love. I love so much. Yeah, and it's those days where you realize you, you try and think like, Oh man, this is going to be really tough. I don't know how I'm going to get through it. And then afterwards, it's just like that rewarding feeling. Uh, when you do make it through, you know, you know that just getting out the door and putting in the effort, you're a little bit better than, than, uh, you were just if you would have passed up on it. Right. So how did, how did running 
and the running industry become a career for you? Where, was that always the aspiration? I know you mentioned um, working in journalism in in college. Was was running journalism always the goal? No, I wanted to be a beat writer for the New York Yankees. Like, uh, and for me, that kind of stems from the fact that. I wanted to play for the New York Yankees. I wanted to, you know, replace Derek Jeter or just, you know, and in all the video games over the years, I would always create myself and put myself on the Yankees and win a couple World Series. And uh, so that was always sort of the dream. But athletically, that never really matched up. I never uh, got the. I never played for, for my high school. My kind of my career stopped at Little League. And so I figured the closest way to remain to sports was to uh, try to... Uh, cover sports in general. So I you know, wrote for my school newspaper and then from there pursued journalism at Marquette University. Um, and I guess like where running comes into things, I was just like a little bit, I, I stayed in on a Friday night I, instead of going out with a bunch of friends and I stumbled upon a live stream that Flowtrack was putting on for some meet out in California. It was the uh, Oxy. It was, it was the, there's a 5k and Dathan Ritzenhain uh, ran super quick and he was like super amped up and excited after the race. Um, and just kind of that infectious energy that he brought to the interview caught on to me. And I was just like, wow, I mean, this guy is super excited. He ran 13 minutes or something like that, 13 something. And, and I had just recently run like a 5k. And so I knew my time that was like 20 minutes or something (laughs) like that was like, I mean, it's just uh, just kind of superhuman is what you think when you're that inexperienced and, and don't know as much about the sport. So I uh, decided if this guy's going to be a big deal for the Olympics, then let me learn a little bit more about him and some of these other athletes. So I went back and just started like reading and and about um, past races and, and and watching old videos on YouTube. And then I just, you know, kind of fell into just the YouTube algorithm got to me and, and just started watching everything, reading a bunch of old Sports Illustrated stories too. And and I remember the 2012 Adidas Grand Prix was coming to New York City um, and I wanted to get a credential to it just because like it would be uh, an opportunity to uh, to go and cover some pro races. And I figured I knew Usain Bolt ran there a couple of years back. So maybe he'd be at this meet and I could, you know, see him up close. And so I shot Ryan Fenton an email out of the blue and just decided that, okay, um, like, let's see, let's see if he can get me a credential and I can help out in any way possible. Like as a, you know, sophomore or something, a freshman at Marquette, you guys can use any sort of help. I'm down for whatever. And so covered that meet and got to do a couple interviews, did some live tweeting and it, it seemed to be a hit. And so, they kept me sort of like in the loop on things, asked me to go. I volunteered and, and asked to go cover a cross country meet up in Madison, Wisconsin. And from there, uh, we kind of just built out this relationship where every single weekend I would be going to a bunch of different meets, whether it was Peyton Jordan out in California or, uh, to, I'm trying to think like, like, you know, Minnesota or the university of Florida for a weekend. And I got to be up close with a bunch of athletes, coaches, agents, and all that kind of stuff, and really fostered these sort of relationships and did interviews, wrote previews, and that kind of stuff. I kept myself busy. Um, And the big thing I kind of hone in on is just sort of the fact that I 
you know, was learning things in the classroom, but you can only learn so much. And I felt like putting things into practice was much more valuable for me. So when I, you know, did arrange my class schedule where I wouldn't have any sort of classes on Fridays, I would leave Milwaukee every Thursday night, come back Sunday. Um, it really felt like I was double dipping and doing a job and at the same time being a student. So it was, yeah, it was, it was interesting, uh, and really valuable sort of for, for my professional career. Uh, but yeah, I mean, initially running was definitely not the sport that I wanted to cover. It was, it was baseball and, you know, kind of fast forwarding a little bit in 2014, I interned for ESPN for a summer and I got to dip my toes back into covering professional sports. And I, you know, got to write about soccer and, and two of the days I spent covering the Mets. And I realized that the baseball writer life wasn't really for me. Like I just, you know, eating at a ballpark and getting there for some crazy hours, hours before the game, hours after the game, I was not cut out for it. So even after doing it for two days, I decided, okay, like I am just going to, um, stick to running and, you know, kind of, uh, craft like a little bit of a, of an avenue there for myself. And so, yeah, that's kind of, I've, I don't think I have the aspirations to cover baseball anymore. (laughs) It's interesting The the pro sports life, um, on the team sports side seems so glamorous and it's not, um, I have a lot of friends that work in pro sports. I interned with, with, uh, the Bruins in college and it's not glamorous. It's like long hours. It's, you know, working well into the evenings and, and whatnot and on the weekends. And I guess we do that in running (laughs) as well, but it's just a different, it's a different grind. Um, but I think that's, I think that's true of, of anything. There's a lot of, you know, unsexy work that has to happen to make it, um, to make it work. Yeah. And some of those early days, I remember, um, I, even with flow track, like they've definitely changed over the years and it, and, you know, they've, they've invested so much sort of in just like their live production that there were used to be nights where I, me, Alex Lore, Ryan Fenton, Mitch Kastoff, like we'd just stay up for so long, just waiting to get videos uploaded onto the site. And nowadays, like, I feel like the process is just so much faster and, and there's maybe like better uploading speeds and like platforms and all that kind of stuff for, for videos. But it was definitely, it was definitely a long grind. And for a while, I actually like, you know, wasn't even getting paid for it. It was just kind of treated like an internship. Eventually, you know, I did start getting paid. Um, and the experience was just like super valuable to me. I got to go to Europe as a result of it and, and, you know, check out the the track scene out there and, and cover some diamond league races. So, th- I mean, super thankful for, for those opportunities that have, that have come up and, you know, it's definitely helped uh, along the way. Very cool. Let's talk city as mag. Um, you guys have a, a rabid, I don't know if that's the word. You guys have a very strong and loyal following um, within within your audience. Let's talk about um, how did that start? Yeah, so in 2016, so I did, after graduating from college, I took a job at Sports Illustrated. I've been there now for almost six years. And I, uh, kind of right after the Olympics, saw this sort of, I saw this 
I hit writer's block. Writer's block was a real thing. I kind of, you know, laughed it off at first and thought, oh, like that's not real, but it was. And it was kind of, it stemmed from thinking about the last four years and getting to the Olympics. Because the Olympics for me were just like a dream come true. I teared up during the opening ceremonies just because I was like, I can't believe I'm here. Um, And I remember that from 2012 to 2016, like I was spending so many of these weekends away and covering all these smaller meets and that kind of stuff. And, and occasionally like some diamond leagues and us championships. And because I had now gotten to sports illustrated and got to cover my first Olympics, like that wasn't going to have to be a thing anymore. I didn't have to sacrifice so many of those weekends and knowing that the sports illustrated audience isn't necessarily huge track fans as much as I wish it was like, um, you know, the biggest traffic driver for sure is the NFL and the NBA and those major sports. And, uh, so I didn't want to bug my editors there with, you know, here's 500 words off like the Peyton Jordan invitational or something like that. Um, because those are things that I'm still super passionate about and care about, like, I, and following sort of the sport, uh, on all levels. And so I was like, well, how am I going to continue to do that? Because I do want to continue to do it. And so I figured I'd team up with a couple friends of mine. Uh, who I'd made over the years working uh, within the running industry. And we decided to start, a, you know, a initially was just like a, a blog website type thing where um, I never wanted it to just be me. Like I wanted it to involve other people. So we kind of decided to team up, create a lot of relatable, like relatable sort of content and something different because you know, let's run, you can go to and get all your sort of news and, and the headlines of the sport. Um, lots of great articles on there. Uh, you've got the message boards too, where that's where the chatter happens of anything going on. And then flow track is videos, runner spaces, videos. Um, so I kind of saw a little bit of an area that was lacking was sort of the commentary humor side of things where, you know, I, I, I like Bill Simmons a lot. Uh, and the work that he's done with Grantland and the ringer. And I was just like, well, there really isn't like the ringer for running. And so kind of it ultimately just boils down to maybe coming up with something like that. And so it's it can riff off of pop culture. It can be serious at times. It could be over nerdy and an- analytical. And that's kind of like what we've tried to do. And so, you know, I decided to explore podcasting through it. It's something I've always wanted to do. And and over time, like it's really become a medium that I love and sort of like having conversations and pushing them out fairly quickly. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm, I still love writing and, 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 you know, reporting stories, but it just, it is also so much easier to just hit record like we are right now and, you know, talk for 40 minutes, an hour, two hours, whatever it is, and, and then just push it out within, you know, an hour or two, as opposed to going back and transcribing and writing and crafting a story and outlining and editing and all that kind of stuff. And so that's a, that's a process. And I, and I love that process, but, you know, sometimes I do, find this to be a little bit easier. So podcasting has been something big that that I've leaned on. And then when it comes to just like that loyal sort of and uh, that fan base that we've built out of, like, I think it ultimately does come down to we appeal to a lot of the people who are in that. I've looked at the demographics recently of like, um, who are some of the big, you know, followers of, of the site just through Instagram, Twitter, site and analytics and all that kind of stuff where it fall uh, the, the people fall in from 16 to like 34 is like the big bulk of it. And, um, 
it's interesting because I feel like that's a big chunk of people that made like lots of brands and stuff want to work with and that kind of stuff. And it gets away from maybe the aging, you know, runner's world crowd and that kind of stuff, because, you know, you, you have to think about the fact that these college kids and, and these teenagers in high school aren't buying magazines anymore. So that connection isn't immediately sort of there. So in offering something new and different, um, we have built sort of like an audience of people who consume sort of uh, all different podcasts that we've put out, relatable articles and all that. So it really kind of hit me in the face when I was um, when I when we hosted a Blue Jean Mile in New York City. Like that's when I first realized that like, oh, like this these followers and these uh this audience is 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 crazy because it's like we just put the word out and all of a sudden you had like 10 15 kids show up just with blue jeans and that kind of stuff someone drove in from like uh philadelphia new jersey to to run a blue jean mile and i was just like this is hilarious to me that we just kind of came up with this gimmick all credit to paul snyder for coming up with the idea and now it was just kind of like taken off and you know, over time, I mean, it's, it was a thing that caused, you know, that led Johnny Gregoric to raise more than $30,000 for, for mental health awareness. And so it, it, it's funny to, to see it just kind of develop over time, because for me, it ultimately is still a passion project that I've got going outside of my full, full-time job down the road. Could I possibly take a risk on myself and, and try and do this thing full-time? We'll see. I mean, uh, we'll, we'll just have to wait and see what, what the future holds, but, um, I'm enjoying it and having fun for now. Very cool. Yeah. It's, uh, it's an interesting, it's an interesting medium. Um, now that, you know, everyone has a podcast or so it seems, um, how do you, how do you continue to differentiate, uh, against all of the other options out there? Yeah, there's so many. Um, and it's funny to just kind of sometimes see other podcasts just pop up or like the idea is like, we're, we're thinking of doing a podcast. And it's like, I don't know, like it, it does feel like the the market's getting a little bit saturated. I just kind of feel like, you know, very similar to, to you, just kicking back and having these sort of like laid back conversations um, and asking different questions. I think for me, because I come from you know, the writing background, I love seeing what's already out there, reading and listening to stuff already out there, and then just taking things a little bit like a step further. Um, and, you know, asking for some sort of like behind the scenes stuff of like, okay, so there was this performance that people saw, but like, take us through like the days that led up to it and that kind of stuff. And what was, what was different. And so it's getting a little bit deeper on things. I'm, you know, admittedly like a huge, uh, nerd when it comes to stats and history and races. So like, I like going back and taking a bunch of notes and, and coming into something where I'm going to ask someone like Nick Willis, like, Hey, you know, third lap of this race, you know, back in 2008, like you were in this position and then this happened. And so like, what were you thinking? And, and all that kind of stuff. And it's so like, I guess I, I lean into sort of the nerdery a little bit more too. And, um, you know, I also kind of, I, I'm, you know, I'm up in the air right now as to like, am I, am I trying to do a weekly show? Am I just posting episodes whenever I feel like it? I mean, it, it's, it's a lot of fun uh, for me to just kind of, and, and Zoom and the pandemic, you know, has made it a little bit easier to just get people online. Like we're, we're, we're talking right now, this thing could be pushed out in a, in a couple hours and, and sort of like that immediacy and using sort of the connections that I've made over, over the past couple of years has been 
valuable to to that for sure. So um, yeah, it's it, I I do do a bunch of like the interview based shows. That's kind of what mine is. Dana Giordano's podcast is Scott Fobble's podcast is, but with a little bit more of a humorous movie entertainment spin. Um, but, you know, down the road, who knows, like I w- might want to try and do some sort of, uh, narrative podcast or, uh, even, you know, I've, I'm, I've got a concept in the works right now for a game show. Um, and so that'll be, that'll be fun, but the wheels are constantly turning. I'm always trying to find ways of keeping myself busy and cutting down on my sleep. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a never ending quest for less sleep. Thanks again to beam for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. I take their dream powder most nights before bed. Dream contains magnesium, a small amount of melatonin and broad spectrum, nano CBD, and always leads to a refreshing night's sleep. I'm also a big fan of their focus capsules for during the day, containing many of the nutrients that I know my body needs, such as ashwagandha, CoQ10, as well as CBD, Focus helps you do exactly that. Visit beamtlc.com and use the code FTLR for 15% off and let me know what you think. And now, back to our conversation. I think the pandemic has... has you know, we all we always like to look for for silver linings. The accessibility of of athletes anywhere um, has been great. For me, I did my first sixty episodes all in person, and I was of those sixty. I think I did two um, online, and so fifty eight wow. were were in were in person. And I was like pretty opposed to the format we're using right now. Um, because for work, I was able to, you know, see people face to face and I was traveling around and, and meeting all these athletes in Flagstaff and Boulder and Bend and all these cool places. Um, but then when you take that away, you're forced to, to, you know, find the alternative. And I, like, we can't see each other's face right now. And I know, I think and we could that's... probably play off of like <laughs> facial expressions and stuff like that. I, it, that is one of the downsides to all of it. Exactly. Like I, I had a conversation with, um, with uh someone early on and my dad listens to all my podcasts and and he he likes to give feedback and he tells me the ones he loves a lot and he was like he's like you you like touched the the surface of what could have been like a really really interesting conversation with with one of the guests and and she said something that you know you could have dug into and um you didn't. And I was like, I know, because I was super uncomfortable not knowing if her, her pauses were, um, you know, like what, what her, what her face was saying and what her, her uh, body language was saying, like, please don't ask any more questions about this. Or like, this is something I really want to dig into and, and open up and be vulnerable about. And I think that like, I've, I've definitely gotten better at reading you know, the, the audio tells of, of people and like their enthusiasm levels and stuff. But like you said, like there's no, there's no like visual understanding of, is this person super excited about something right now? Or are they itching to talk or am I rambling again? Like I am right now. And (laughs) no, it's kind of like, because like the, I, I think it, it all just kind of comes down to picking and choosing where you choose to do this. Like we're doing this on, on Zencaster and, uh, I've done a couple on here 
Other times I choose to do Zoom. When you do Zoom, you sacrifice a little bit of audio quality when it comes to it. And and then like you just have to rely on the person's internet being strong enough to sustain both their audio and their video. So yeah, it, it has been sort of tough. And like I'm even just sort of thinking like heading out to the first, you know, track meet in a couple of weeks that I've been to in over a year. Um, like I, I, I'm planning on doing some podcasts, but, you know, is setting up six feet apart, new microphone tops and like, and, uh, you know, do, are we going to have to wear masks? Is there going to be a divider like in, in planning to do live sort of podcasts? So like, yeah, it's still a weird time. Yeah, totally. Um, I was, uh, I was planning to do one in Boston with Molly Seidel and we were actually talking about doing a lot like an in-person podcast in, in her backyard um, and my, my mics all have each have a six foot cord. And I was like, do I really want to sit 10 feet away or 12 feet away and have a conversation like in a backyard just so I can have the, you know, facial expressions. <laughs> I was like, yes, actually I do. I, I think that, you know, it would have been, it would have been fun. Um, unfortunately that one didn't end up happening, but it's, we're recording this month. Um, but it's like that I don't know personally if I want to do it until I can do it in a way that feels closer to normal. Um, and right. that's and there's just, just no time table for it. Mm-hmm. Totally. And, and for me, I've become such a stickler on the audio quality that like <laughs> if, I, if I don't have like great audio quality, I'm, I might not post it as, you know, unless it's, it's someone who people will – listen like I, I won't listen to a podcast that has poor audio quality there's so many options and it's like it's just you know you said you know pick your spots that's the spot that I pick um, my episode with Shalane had terrible audio quality this was in the middle of March so right when literally everybody was you know using the internet and working from home and all this stuff and the sponsor of that episode was like you know great guest great great conversation but like <laughs> the audio quality was poor and i was like well that's the one one of the only guests where somebody would you know work through the 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 quality issue um to hear <laughs> to hear her wisdom but i'm yeah i'm looking forward to getting back in person um interviews so you mentioned the the um track meet that you mm-hmm. are attending talk more about that we were chatting about that before we before we hit record. Yeah. So that is going to be my big, uh, I guess, foray into trying to um, broadcast uh, a live track meet. So uh, this is the Texas qualifier going down uh, in just a couple of weeks on February 26th and 27th. Um, it'll be free for everyone to watch on uh, the Sidious Mag YouTube channel. I will be on the call and I guess it hasn't gone out there yet. So maybe um, by the time this gets posted, this could be news. Kyle Merber and I will be doing the commentary. We're working on one other person in our booth um, and kind of we put put out like a two and a half hour podcast. So we're like, all right, so let's do that just kind of over the course of two days. And so uh, we're going to be, we'll be there first night that Friday night is going to be all races that are um, aimed at getting people qualified for the U S Olympic trials. 
So that'll be 1,500, 800, 1,500, 5K, 10K. Uh, lots of really cool names in those fields. And then the second night will be Saturday, and that will be all races that are aimed at getting people qualified for the Olympics. So the summer games in Tokyo, uh, so obviously gets a little bit faster. Again, 800, 1,500, uh, 5k 10k both men and women on all those fields uh a lot of really cool sponsors have stepped up to help me chip away at the big expense that it's going to take to hire out a production crew and stage this meet and so kind of like the trials of miles uh race organizers have handled sort of um you know all the fields and and getting pacers and all that kind of stuff and so for me the responsibility has fallen on sort of the uh, live stream. And so I'm super excited about that because I guess it's like one of those big talking points that people have. Usually I see it on Twitter from time to time. It's just like lots of complaining about paywalls and, and just, but I understand that, you know, it is a business. Some of these places do that do broadcast these races. And plus, if you want to, you know, give back and invest in sort of the sport, you have, you should sort of subscribe to the people who are bringing you this coverage. Cause you know, it is, it is a job and it, and it does take time and money, but for me, I think this is just going to be like a very interesting sort of attempt at, you know, I went, I, I mentioned before just staying in on, on that Friday night and watching this track meet that got me hooked on the sport. Um, nowadays, I find, I think about it and it's like it, the chances of that possibly of happening um, would kind of be low if, if I was just in college, stayed in on a Friday night and did the same thing over again. If I would have clicked on that link, I would have hit a paywall or something like that. And so I wasn't going to subscribe right away. And so, um, this will be interesting because I'm hoping we get as many eyeballs as possible. We're going to do things a little bit differently on the broadcast. Um, I, another cool thing is like, we're going to release a two minute clip of the Sidious Mag documentary on NAZ elite that Stephen Kirsch and Ryan Sterner put together. Um, there's going to be a lot of cool little things that make this track meet hopefully a little bit different than uh, others in the past. So I'm super pumped. I mean, on Instagram, on the Sidious Mag Instagram and on the Trials of Miles Racing Instagram, like we've been revealing some of the fields um, in just a couple minutes. I'll probably post the women's 10K, which features Sarah Hall and Kira D'Amato and uh, Kim Conley and and uh, Emily Sisson. The 1500 has Centrowitz, Bra- Donovan Brazier, Nick Willis, Evan Jager. And th- that's just like kind of the early teasers. We haven't even released the full fields for that. So it sort of feels like it feels like a little diamond league fell on our lap here and it's going to happen uh, in just a couple weeks. So fingers crossed, like things can stay somewhat uh, safe uh, where everyone's going to get have to get tested at least two times in the seven days leading up to the event. So, um, yeah, as of right now, like I, excitement levels are through the roof the week of, I think <laughs> excitement flips to sort of a little bit of just anxiousness. And, but I think once the races get going, it's going to feel like a, a job again. And so I'm excited to get back behind the mic to do some play by play and some color commentary for that. Very cool. I just tweeted the, uh, the women's 10 K field. So I got the scoop. Beat <laughs> 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 you to it. No, um, that's, that's awesome. I think that, um, I mean, there's so much excitement in particularly that, um, race, the women's 10 K or 10,000, um, Kira and, and Sarah are just so exciting right now. Um, and I think that, um, it's going to be, uh, quite a uh, quite a race um as they both pursue that um 
that qualifier and and making that team. Mm-hmm. And then that first night is, I mean, while that will all happen on the second night, I just, you know, I'm excited to also see just sort of a lot of the, um, you know, some people's dreams hopefully coming true of qualifying for the U.S. Olympic trials just in and of themselves. So uh, we'll see. Um, it, it should be two very special nights in Texas. Very cool. Talk to me a little bit more about the format of Cities Mag and the podcast network. Um, I've had Dana Giordano on this podcast, Scott Fobble as well. Um, and the, I, Dana's, uh, Dana's episode is the number five most listened to of the 140 plus of mine. And she, she leads a great conversation as well. Um, same thing with, uh, with Scott, particularly on the, on the movie side of things. Um, how did that come to be? And how do you, how do you work with um, external partners or athletes um, in that regard to sort of maintain the, the integrity overall, but um, making sure that each, each show has its own unique character? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, this is really fun because, you know, behind the scenes, I produce both of those uh, shows in addition to Runners of NYC and Running Things Considered, and I think the Track and Field History podcast. And aside from that, David Melly handles his own show, the Run Your Mouth podcast, and Emma Zimmerman handles her podcast, the Social Sport podcast. So I've got the the rest sort of behind the scenes and kind of the way it just works is, you know, um, we come up with a plan like Dana and I have a spreadsheet where we have guests and uh, dates set up for recording and possible published dates. And um, I work with her and sort of like, okay, this week I think we should roll with this person. This person's a little bit newsworthy for these reasons and just sort of um, making things a little bit different where uh, on Dana's show, I think there's a good amount of just diversity when it comes to the different types of backgrounds that these people have. Some are, you know, entrepreneurs, others are athletes and some could be coaches and then some are just like people who Dana finds on her own it's funny to hear her talk sort of about uh, bringing up like a TikTok like star and I'm like I don't know who this person is like I'm not that deep into sort of TikTok but um, she's been doing a great job crushing it when it comes to promoting it and it's also just another avenue for her to really push herself as an athlete and show this other side of her where she can hold and and host these um awesome conversations with people to get to know not only the guest better but even Dana herself um where she sees it sort of and, and was very open at the very beginning uh about just like you know she's not going to run forever so like kind of has to think about what that next step could be and and whether it's you know a career in broadcast or or, or stuff like she can sort of um start to get some sort of some reps in here and when it came to fobble fobble is just very simply saying you know what i want to talk about movies with my friends you know this is very much <laughs> ripping off of the idea of the rewatchables on um the ringer but Instead, it's Fobble and friends just kind of talking about um, running on his podcast. So that one's really easy. I mean, for most for the most part, like all these shows are really easy for me to edit where it comes down to just me just listening and and, and scrubbing through a couple things, adding and recording intros uh, with them and and that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, I mean, it's just kind of the the time commitment is the big thing uh, when it comes down to it uh, for me. So um, I need to obviously get a little bit better at um, 
kind of scheduling out things. And, uh, but when there's just so much going on, like sometimes it can get a little bit tricky, but, um, yeah, at some point down the road, I'd love to hire some help when it comes to hiring a producer or, um, I think there is, uh, the resources are going to be there to possibly take on an intern this upcoming summer. Um, so yeah, behind the scenes though, it just extra work for me to keep me busy. <laughs> What's your favorite thing about podcasting? I think it's just kind of like the, the, that you can learn more about the person's, uh, personality off of it because for years i guess like working with with flow track and and espn and sports illustrated like yes i guess like people could come to me for news on twitter like that's kind of it's very easy like i just push out a ton of tweets from time to time and and maybe that's how people got their news or if i write a story it's very easy to just kind of read it and scroll over my name uh and just get you know whatever the story is providing um and I think what the podcast has really done is people get to to know my sense of humor a little bit more. Uh, somehow legs are feeling good was like a little catchphrase that I coined um, last year or two years ago. Um, and then that became sort of like another little funny thing that that um, came out of it. People, you know, have also taken sort of an interest in sort of my own running from time to time. Uh, and so I think you know, that that's been it for, for me sort of, it just like is developing a little bit more of that, that personality where people now might be a little bit more invested in what I have to say or write, um, because they know me better as a, as a person. And so I'm hoping that also has the same effect when it comes to, to Scott and Dana and David and, and Emma, uh, even Jesse Squire, uh, when it comes to just what uh, all the different shows that they produce. Yeah, I think, um, you you touched on it with uh, talking about Dana about like not going to run forever and and understanding and and finding these things outside of um, competitive running that can be a source of income and interest and time and things like that. I think it's I think the the athlete sponsorship world is changing quickly um, and you know a sponsorship is not just a, you i i observed a, a, a twitter um interaction um with you and and a couple athletes earlier in the week or a few days ago where the the conclusion was you know it's not just the shoe sponsor anymore and oh yeah right, are, tiana bartoletta I, I put out the tweet yeah. that she was unsponsored and kind of like what i meant what and probably should have said was that uh, she has no apparel and footwear sponsor um, at the moment, but I kind of hit tweet a little too quick. And um, <laughs> no, I mean it's it's true, and kind of like the uh, um, yeah to to the point that I think you're you're getting at. Like yeah, there's other ways to sort of for an athlete to really diversify their portfolio um, because you kind of uh, you we're seeing a lot of these companies start to pull back on the amount of money that they're investing in athletes where. Um, and that's just kind of a sign of the times just based off like every, the pandemic making things financially hard across the board. But in a way, I look at something like the throws, um, for example, Ryan Krauser, amazing athlete and, you know, just broke the world indoor record, uh, signed with Nike. 
but on the other side of things, I mean, I have no idea what he makes off of his contract and, and that kind of stuff. But you also look at someone who's his contemporary and, you know, teammate on the U.S. Olympic team and the reigning world champ, Joe Kovacs. Um, he's someone who's not sponsored by Nike. He's sponsored by Velasa, which is a company that he has kind of uh, a stake in for sure. But they're bigger in the weightlifting uh, industry. And um, now you're starting it like so he's got he's got something different right off the bat and he's not as tied like Nike and some of these other companies own you from head to toe when it comes to sneakers, apparel, sunglasses. Sometimes when you're able to go out and break outside of just like that normal, typical old school sort of sponsor, you're able to pick up more things. And Tiana Bartoletta has done a great job of adding a ton of sponsors. I think uh, NAZ Elite does a great job of it too, where um, they've got different sponsors outside of just Hoka. They've got, you know, a sunglass sponsor and and that kind of stuff. And so, yeah, I mean, Joe Kovacs is sponsored by Duluth Trading Company. It's just so interesting. Like I see his posts from time to time, um, but it's like, it kind of, it makes sense. It does make sense. Sort of like yeah. the big, burly, strong man doing hard work and training out in the winter. So um, yeah, the athlete sponsorship side of things is, is interesting and kind of bringing it all home with like, uh, you know, Dana and even the conversation I had with, with Kyle Merber, it's the, it, there is an emphasis now on, you know, the athletes have to push, you know, make a brand for themselves as, as harsh as that word is that, that, that people don't enjoy. It's like, what is your, sort of like your brand? But I think Kyle boiled it down properly. Is like asking, coming back to the question of why is it that people should root for you, um, a, as an athlete. And so, um, find, finding that reason and really pushing it out. I think nowadays, especially, uh, when you do try to stand out, it has to be more than just, you know, posting photos that you're a runner. Like, I think you have to dive in a little bit deeper than that. Totally agree. I was chatting with a husband and wife um, uh, combo from Boulder. They're pro triathletes and they're sponsored by, by an investment banking firm. And it's just like, okay, that's that's where we're at. That makes sense for, for triathlon. Uh, but to your point, it's, you know, we, um, they're, I forget who Morgan is. It Morgan Peterson, whose bio says uh, uh, performance over social media. I I was joking with him about like, no, you actually need both these days, and and being on the brand side with making decisions with who we're going to sponsor and who we're going to support and provide product for and services and whatnot. We're we're not at least from where I sit and what what we're doing. Just being fast is not compelling anymore. Maybe it was ten years ago when um, that was essentially all that mattered. But I think now it's as you were saying, it's like you must be interesting and you must be open and telling the story. Steph Bruce is my favorite example of this, but really the the whole um, Northern Arizona elite team and sort of the model that that they take. Um, Sally McRae is a pro trail runner who does an amazing job of like letting people in to her life. Um, Keely Hanninger, another one. They're they're just so good at at being human. Tiana as well, so good at being human, and and like that's the that's the piece that people care about. And then we're also starting to work with a lot more um, family oriented people or people who are interested in the sport for longevity purposes, and and not just you know going to the Olympics today, but like how do you sustain high performance for life and that's relatable anybody can relate to 
an athlete wanting to compete for as long as possible, because in theory, we all want that, right? So those are the people that I think are most interesting and and you know candidly most worth most worth supporting if you have to you know put a a, a worth um behind it which you know i it's it feels dirty to say it that way but when you're when dollars are involved that's you know sort of how it works um but then how do you make people care about you it's it's building your own as you said that personal brand and and inviting people along for the journey so podcasts help get there instagram live and and storytelling and interviews and um it all it's all a piece of the puzzle when i was in flagstaff a couple years this was 2019 now um i was meeting with uh ben rosario and he was saying that a core um tenant of being on that team is being ready for an interview at all times and that's fundamentally who they are (laughs) I had never done, uh, actually I had done two podcasts at that point and I had my microphones in my bag because I was doing one with Ali Kiefer uh, later that day. And I said to him point blank, I was like, all right, you want to do an interview right now? (laughs) Let's do it. And, and we did. And that's the, like, that's the piece that I think was missing, you know, when podcasts weren't as common and whatnot. But I think that we're now in this time when we can learn so much about athletes and become a fan of the person, not just, you know, how they are performing. And I think, I think that's great. I think, you know, as you were saying about Dana, like these people aren't going to run forever, but you look at someone like Shalane Flanagan, who is just as relatable as ever, as ever, if not more, because she's now a mother and a coach and all of these things that, um, is, truly the human experience totally i mean you you kind of nailed it just just there where um yeah and kind of like to your to your point even just elaborating a little bit further it's it's interesting because you rattled off a bunch of um professional uh professional ultra runners and, and trail runners and it's so interesting to me to see just like because you know, when we see just the huge numbers, like even Walmsley training for like the Olympic trials, people saw 30 miles and all of a sudden, like it got, they got super excited and pumped up about it because in that sort of community, I feel like it's very easy to see the performances for themselves and no matter how fast or how slow time is irrelevant, it's just the accomplish the accomplishment is what people get really sort of amped up about. Um, be, and and to the lay person who doesn't even follow the sport, that makes them really sort of perk up. And so, you know, there's there's got to be a way to strike that sort of balance and also bring it to you know the track and the, and the the shorter road ra- road races. And so, um, yeah, it's just something interesting that just came to mind after you were rattling off some of those names. And it, it's cool because like for me, like personally, I think Courtney Dowalter is probably like one of my favorite like uh, yeah. ultra trail runners to follow on Instagram. I've never met her, never met her, never even spoken to her. Um, and but I'm like just like so impressed by everything that she does. And it's and there's so many people like that um, who don't even know like when she's going to race. They'll just kind of see the after effects later on and just like, oh, she did this this past weekend I had no idea that was going to happen so awesome so cool um it happened to me at work like the nba editor uh one day was just like do you know anything about this this courtney girl and i was like 
yeah, isn't she impressive? He's like, dude, I think she's one of my favorite athletes. And just like the basketball shorts is what really gets me. And I was like, yeah, I mean, it's very, it's awesome. Uh, and so like, I want to, yeah, I mean, it, it's just sort of like finding the equation to get that excitement to also translate over to the shorter stuff. Totally. I think that the, the, um, piece that you mentioned there, these athletes shoot their shot and they fail often. And I think that that's more so in, in ultra running. I mean, yeah, it definitely happens in, in road racing and track and field, but the, the failures are spectacular on the, on the, in the trail world. Like Courtney went to the hospital. I I saw that during an FKT attempt and just like, like that's nuts. Um, also, she, I've met her in person. She is just as amazing in person as she is uh, with her social presence and her racing. Um, Jim Walmsley is is a fascinating individual, you know, running a 40 mile training run at a 538 pace and then and then, you know, hitting the the number 200 K world record. Um, it's just it's fascinating. It's like but it's like these spectacular shots that. You know, if one of 10 goes in, you're doing great. Um, and and this is definitely happening in, in road racing and, and track and field. And I think that that when we see athletes try and fail, that's that's the piece that like that's the story. That's the piece that it makes them relatable. And and again, it's like people who win all the time are not they're they're not relatable. And I think that that's you know, it's crazy that that's like a fault in today's world. Um, but I think that it's, it's, it's understand finding the balance between, um, obviously don't try and fail, but, um, finding the balance between that elite performance and, and humanizing and, and opening up and allowing others to come along for the ride so that they can celebrate the, the victories when they happen. Um, I think it's super cool to see. And I'm, I'm, I love, I love that story and I love that, um, context for sure. And that just kind of, you know, makes me just even more excited because I've been able to just sort of now pick up and follow someone like Jim's story, seeing what happened at the, uh, the Carbon X2 event where he falls 11, 12 seconds short of like the world record, it just falls in line with just the trends we've seen over time where it's like, you know, he'll, he'll get it the second time. And so it just, it's really funny, uh, to, to pick up on stuff like that, but now I'm invested. I'm invested in it. Totally. Well, I could talk about this topic for another hour or five. Um, but, uh, thanks so much for, for taking some time to chat today and, and, uh, hopefully I'll see you out at a race, uh, at some point this year, which would be, uh, very exciting. And where can we follow you and, and all of your storytelling, um, for those, uh, for those who aren't already. Yeah. So, um, at Chris Chavez on Twitter, that's C H A V E Z on Instagram. I'm at Chris underscore J underscore Chavez. And then on, uh, to follow Sidious mag, it is at Sidious mag on Twitter, Instagram, it's on Facebook. And, uh, you know, the Sidious mag podcast is available on Apple podcasts, Spotify, uh, wherever you get, uh, your shows. So, um, that's where people can find me. And if you're within like a 10 mile radius in New York city, I'm on Bumble and uh, hinge. <laughs> Amazing. And how are the legs feeling today? 
legs are feeling good for now until I get outside in the snow and try and see if uh, a workout can happen. But for now, they're feeling good. Awesome. Chris, thanks so much for taking some time to chat and uh, we'll see you out there. Thanks for having me. That's it for today's episode. Like many long runs, it's sad when it has to end. I hope you join in next week on For the Long Run. And in the meantime, happy trails. If you've enjoyed this episode, it would mean a lot to me if you shared it so that others can find it and enjoy it too.